0: So it's no coincidence that we've just read that together. David and I didn't plan that. I just left him to work out what he wanted to do as he hosts this morning. But where the sermon will land up is exactly what we've just been reading out there. Where Jesus finishes in his passage today that we're going to read in just a moment. It lands on exactly that. Living out what the Bible gives us. Actions speak louder than words, don't they? And his word is him in action. That's what we get to live out and appreciate if we're willing to step into it. So That's what we're going to be speaking about. Luke chapter 11, if you're not already there, we're currently continuing through our series working through the Gospel of Luke, and we've got two verses to read today, just two. Sometimes we've had big chunks that have gone on for a while, haven't we? Today we have two verses, and they can feel a little bit obscure, as you can see there. We'll talk about this in a minute, a little bit odd, um, but... Sometimes we can come across some, as we're working through a book of the Bible, this is why it's valuable to work through a book of the Bible. Sometimes it's good for a sermon series to focus on a topic, a theme, a subject, a, an element of what Scripture tells us. That's important. Other times there is huge value in just working through a book of a Bible because you don't skip the passages you don't like. You don't skip the passages you find awkward or weird. Sometimes it's good just to contend with them and find out and learn that God, there's a reason why they're in the Bible. Let's not miss them. Let's not ignore them. And uh, today, I believe God's going to speak to us through these verses. So let me just read these two verses. It's verses 27 and 28 of Luke 11. We'll see what God has in store for us. It says this, as he said this, the, these things, Jesus has been, uh, I'll talk about it a bit more in a minute, but Jesus has been talking um, to the people around him uh, in light of healing a man from, uh, who's been... Um, Overcome by an evil spirit and is mute, Jesus has performed this miracle and then he teaches about the spiritual realm. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is only short, I'll read it again. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here we're going to find in these two verses a contrast of something of a, of a running theme about family. The first one is about earthly family. The woman is referring to his mum. There's something we're going to look at there about how Jesus loves and honours and cherishes earthly family. But then we're going to see where he then takes that immediately to remind us that he's even more concerned about his eternal family. We're going to look at those two things, those two verses, one at a time, about earthly family and then about eternal family. So, let's take a look at this very odd phrase that this woman utters. (laughs) To Jesus and all those who are listening, uh, Jesus, like I say, he's been talking about the practical realities of the spiritual realm. In the previous verses, David was talking about some of that last week for us. Um, and in response, therefore, this woman she has um, she stirred just to marvel out loud. Uh, she's witnessed him put his critics in their place again, quite tremendously. They, these people they've been openly derisive about this. Jesus' miraculous intervention with this man who's mute because of an evil spirit. Jesus deals with that evil spirit. Um, And the man starts talking. And so these critics then, they're they're derisive about that. And they attack him because of it. And they've been so openly derisive, they've gone so far as to to insinuate that he's actually practicing sorcery. He's practicing from the power of darkness, not the power of light, to cast out this evil spirit. And Jesus Jesus is like, that makes no sense. A kingdom divided against itself is going to fall. I'm not of the power of darkness, I'm of the power of light. And that's actually something that Jesus has been accused of many times since. Even in history. People say Jesus is in the history books outside of the Bible. Yes, he is. And he's even mentioned in history, Jewish history books, writers who don't like him writing about miracles that he performed and declaring him to be a sorcerer, therefore have nothing to do with him. It's the same, it's the same criticism, it's the same accusation. You find that in Jewish history books, after Jesus was walking on this earth, they say, that man's a sorcerer, have nothing to do with him. And that's what these people were accusing Jesus of. And he said, actually, even logically, that makes no sense. But this woman then, in this moment, not just as he performs a miracle, but as he then teaches on the back of it, she sees something different. She knows that his power and his rule belongs to the light that conquers darkness. She truly sees him. And so, she compliments him, but in a somewhat odd and sideways way, seemingly to our Western modern ears, certainly. She doesn't say, you're really quite an incredible person. She doesn't say that. Instead, she goes, your mum's body parts that built and fed you, they're really blessed. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, know, I know in her choice of words there, she seemingly reduced Mary to her childbearing organs, but In that culture at that time and in that context, the way she, her turn of phrase, that's acceptable and it's understood to mean something positive, not odd and weird and reducing, objectifying uh, Mary to her her body parts. But more importantly, actually, when we accept that that in that context, that that was a great, wonderful phrase to use, we need to not miss two words. There's one word repeated twice in there that is the point of that sentence. It's the word you. She says to him, "Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast at which you nursed." That's why she's saying it. It's still about Jesus. Now, think think about this for a minute. Any parent will know that when one of your kids does something that's commendable, it makes your heart swell, doesn't it? It's not something you've asked of them; something they've done, and you go, "That's my kid. That's my kid." When Amy does something that's not asked of her, but is thoughtful and it's without prompts and which blesses another person, my heart swells, even more so when I found out after the event from someone else who tells me, do you know what Amy's just done? That's like, that's my girl. I get to be her dad. We've been hearing after the event, uh, uh, Amy works at a laser tag place in Whitstable, and we hear after the event how she takes someone from, from colleagues or a boss, how she takes um, there, was, there was one particular time there was a boy with, um, with quite severe autism and he's really struggling with the, the environment, it's quite overwhelming for him. She took him under her wing, she kind of broke the rules a little bit in a way that really blessed him and she, she, she looked out for him. When he was getting overwhelmed she found ways of making it easier for him. And We found out afterwards and it's like, that's, that's my girl, that's my Amy. It makes my heart swell because I'm, I'm, I get to be her dad. I am blessed by being her dad. And so here, this woman is declaring about Mary, how, ble- how blessed Mary must be to be this man's mum. It's still about him, it's not about her. This woman's enthusiasm and wonder is worn boldly on her sleeve. Now, this incident, as it gets mentioned, is quite as unique to Luke. Amongst the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Luke's Gospel is the only one that mentions this, this moment. And we have to ask why he includes it, and it it tells us a lot about what Luke thinks about all the women in Jesus' vicinity at the time, and his interactions with them. Luke does seem to have been in very close contact with either the devout women themselves who followed Jesus, or people who knew them and witnessed them in action as well, because they feature a lot in his gospel. Luke uh, didn't walk personally with Jesus uh, like Peter did, which became Mark's gospel, or like Matthew and John literally did and wrote their, their Gospels, their biographies of Jesus. Luke went around and interviewed eyewitnesses and compiled a biography that he then presents as what we now call Luke's Gospel. And he went around, tra- traveled about, inter- interviewing all these individuals and recording their eyewitness accounts. And he loves mentioning these women in Jesus' circle and in his vicinity and people who connected with him. And he loves, he loves to help us realize how much Jesus cherished them. This is something we can see throughout his, his gospel. He highly values these women's insights into the behind the scenes of Jesus' Jesus's ministry, particularly, um, and how Jesus related to and with these women. And look, he loves to capture and present these moments where women see Jesus and Jesus sees them. So it's a running stream throughout his gospel. There's another facet of itself to Jesus that is definitely worth pondering and relishing, maybe another time. That's one reason why this incident is in here. But secondly, another good reason why Luke includes it is because this is the first instance of what we call the Magnificat coming true. Now, the Magnificat is a name we give to the prophetic song that Jesus' young mum, before he's born, when she's pregnant, she erupts into this song when she meets with her cousin Elizabeth. You can read about it in Luke chapter 1, when they meet. Mary's pregnant with um, Jesus And her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. So she's just a few few months, like another next trimester. She's a few months ahead of uh, Mary in her pregnancy. And they come together. And when they meet, immediately John the Baptist, unborn in Elizabeth's womb. He leaps in her womb at the presence of the unborn Messiah. And Elizabeth, she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And she utters, blessed are you among women. And in that moment, Mary then pours out this amazing it's like a song, which includes the line, My soul magnifies the Lord. From now on, gen- uh, all generations will call me blessed. That's what she says. This young, teenage, pregnant girl erupts into this prophetic song that declared, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here, 30 years later, we find a woman being so stirred by Jesus' divine authority on display she shouts out blessed is the womb that bore you and blessed are the breasts at which you nursed and Mary has truly been called blessed by all generations ever since and she still does she heard the Holy Spirit right when she sung that out loud now the declaration of how blessed she is needs to be held wisely we need to understand what that means uh, Mary has been honoured in different ways by the church over the past 2,000 years, sometimes too strongly, um, even going so far as to apply an element of divine nature to her that is not found in Scripture. This veneration of her, this, this lifting of her in such high regard, can and does veer into actual worship of her um, and so on. In, in, um, so, so in obvious quarters, perhaps, that then becomes prayers to her and so on. We, we don't find that in Scripture. She's, she's a human being. But sometimes the church acts so dismissively about her, often in response to what I've just been describing. Or oh, we're not like that, so just to make sure you know we're not like that, we'll be right over here. We don't talk about Mary much. She's just a girl. Actually, there's a healthy middle ground. We need to not. She's a blessed woman we need to honour for who she was without <laughs> elevating her to something she isn't. How should we respond? Well, I mean, (laughs) even our expression of churches, our kind of movements of churches can get very twitchy very quickly if someone talks about Mary for more than a couple of minutes. Because we're not like that. Just to make sure you know this. It's okay. What we do know about her, and therefore what we can reflect upon and celebrate, is that she was a woman of faith, who we have much to learn from. She was obedient. Oh my gosh. Wasn't she? She was obedient. She was happy to slip into the background. She served. She was loyal. She loved. She followed. And she is a model for us all, men and women. We need to never forget that. There's plenty more to be said. It's time for another sermon. But there is a rightful place to honour her for her faithfulness and for her obedience. Which even Jesus does. And therefore, she should and will continue to be called blessed. Does that make sense? Good. Now, that's the woman's declaration about Mary, but this is where Jesus then takes her wonderful outburst about her into a brief teaching moment, but in no way is he dismissing her claim either. He's not going, no, 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 forget all that. What you want to worry about is this. The rather we have in here is um, verse 28, but he said blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. That rather isn't, well, never mind all that, look at this. That rather in the original context, the original language, is very much more an insistent indeed, but much more so is this. He's affirming what she said, but making sure we don't catch what's even deeper and more important at heart. Jesus loves his mum, so he's not dismissing this woman's statement. He totally agrees with her. He loves his mum, yet he can't resist ensuring that we don't yet again miss his biggest heartbeat, that he loves earthly family, loves it to bits. It's something to cherish and to honour. But Jesus' greatest yearning is that earthly families are enveloped within the context, within the perspective of an internal one. There's even an allusion here to Luke chapter 8, which we've, we've looked at in recent months. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 21, there's this moment when Jesus is told, he's surrounded by the crowd, and Jesus is told, your mother and your brothers are here, but they can't reach you. And Jesus goes, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. There is that statement again that he's just said today. It's about hearing the word of God and doing it. He goes, "I, I know you're telling me my biological birth family are here, but my real family are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, there it is again. It sounds like he doesn't care about his earthly household. That is not true. Jesus isn't disowning his biological family there, and nor is he here. In this moment, he's not even denying his mum's blessedness, but rather, in both instances, he's ensuring that his listeners, then and now, us, that we don't lose sight of what's most important. Jesus, he absolutely loves motherhood, and he honours his mum, fulfilling that major commandment, honour your father and mother, he does that by very much considering and looking out for her. Even while hanging on the cross. Think about this moment. Even while he's hanging on that wretched cross, bleeding from the nails in his wrists and in his feet, his back shredded, raw to the bone, thorns are piercing his head, his lungs are crushing, not to mention, that's just the physicality, not to mention... He's also carrying the weight of thousands of years' worth of billions of human souls' selfish, arrogant brokenness collectively upon himself. Even in that moment, as he carries our sin upon his shoulders, dying for us, God himself crushed physically and spiritually. Even while he bled out for us, he made sure his own mum would be looked after. You feel that? Even in that moment, He looks down and he sees his mum Mary and he sees his best friend John. He goes, woman, here's your son. John, here's your mum. Care for one another till the end of your days because I'm going to be somewhere else. Even in that moment, he's so bothered about his mum being looked after. I love it. It's Beautiful. He loved his mum to bits and is no way ever dismissive of her relationship to him here on earth. And yet, even so, is vehemently passionate that we grasp the full weight of what's at stake. That while earthly families need to be cherished and invested in where, where other human beings allow us to do that, that is a less perilous focus for us than our actual discipleship. We can have plenty of quality time with our birth families or adopted families, can't we? In loving one another up and so on. But if in the meantime... We are not growing in our knowledge of and walk with Jesus, then something has gone terribly awry, hasn't it? Family is a good thing. But being members of Jesus's family with a capital F, uh, that is where the treasure lies, and that then blesses our earthly families in turn. One of my favorite, and I mentioned this before, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 128. I pray over my family on a regular basis and I came up in prayer when I was praying for Pete and Vanessa and uh, Bella and Joshua a couple of weeks ago for Joshua's Thanksgiving. Psalm 128 starts with blessed is the... Blessed, there it is. You want to be blessed? Here's how. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His wife will be a fruitful vine. His children will be like olive shoots. You'll see the prosperity from generation to generation beyond that as well. Where does that start? Finding blessing in being someone who fears the Lord. Focusing on the, on the eternal aspect blesses the earthly aspect rather than spending time in the earthly... Yeah, spend quality time and quantity time with your family. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. But if you're not focusing on the eternal aspects either, that's going to fall apart. The more we grow in and with Christ, the more of a blessing we'll be to our earthly family. Logical and makes sense. Simples. But therefore also, the less we grow spiritually, the more the kind of friction that lies at our feet will continue to arise and affect our family. It's quite obvious when you think about it but we don't always have that in mind. Jesus loves family but he loves his family with a capital F even more and he's consumed with seeing us grow in him because of therefore the kingdom effects that we have on earth. So, Ultimately, in this passage, Jesus is reinforcing the fact that even Mary, she's not blessed because she bore him. Anyone could have been his biological birth mother, effectively. Um, She's blessed because she was faithful and obedient into stepping into the call upon her life and living out for him and not for herself. That's where she's blessed. Our blessing comes from stepping into what he has provided for us in rescue from sin through the cross and renewal through the word and growing in him for the rest of our days while we're here. That's where true blessing comes from. This concept of stepping into God's word and living it out, verse 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In that way we find true blessing and this theme is littered throughout scripture. Everywhere I've just mentioned Psalm 128 for example that's just one example, there's plenty of others we'll do a few now for example, Psalm 119 verse 1 Psalm 119 verse 1 says blessed are those whose ways blameless who walk in the law of the Lord how can we be blameless? by walking in the law of the Lord now that's not referring to a a list of rules. It's not as, it's not as um, uh, rigid as that. Rather, it's about discovering his route through life. That's what it's about. He knows what's best for us and goes, if you, if you want to be blessed, if you want to live the way I've designed you to live, here you go. That's what this is about. It's not about a set of rules, it's about finding his route through life, how do we find that? By reading his word. This is not so much a... Um, A rule book as it is a map if you like, here's the way you want to find the true path to blessedness, it's in him and here he's mapped it out for you that's what this is, here's the way John chapter 13 there's another one, verse um, 17 Um, Jesus has approved the uh, disciples Uh, they're calling him teacher and lord and he endorses it and approves of it, he goes well done, that's great he said, and then immediately starts washing their feet. Suddenly, it's, you call me teacher and Lord, I'm going to show you what that looks like. And he washes their feet. And in that, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There it is again. True blessing comes from the doing, not just the knowing. If you're not doing it, do you really know it? actions speak louder than words it's the famous, I mentioned it earlier, it's that famous phrase we often use, actions speak louder than words that has first been traced back in earliest recording, it's from the 1200s to a pastor, Anthony of Padua in the 1200s, who preached that in a sermon actions speak louder than words and it's a helpful summary of what Jesus is saying here it's um, if we really believe, if we really believe something we'll be living it out loud, won't we? Otherwise, do we really believe it? If I believe God's word says that I'm one of his representatives here on earth, because I'm now his, then surely that should be noticeable in how I go about my everyday interactions with other people. Shouldn't it? If it doesn't, I've got a question how much I actually believe that. If I truly believe that he is the judge, with a capital J, and he will bring justice... I will be able to then turn the other cheek and love my enemy. If I struggle with that, how much do I believe who he is? If I truly believe that Jesus heals today, I'll be offering prayer for such for people, won't I? If I'm not, do I really believe he heals today? Am I living out what I say I believe? If I truly believe that god will provide me with my daily bread for today then surely i'll be more generous with what i do have knowing he'll provide for tomorrow if i'm not like that do i really believe the other bit john wimbo was an american pastor from recent decades is now in glory he once said it is important to be biblically lit- literate but we must also be biblically obedient And so we're just, therefore, on the back of that, we just have to ask, if we're not obedient to certain aspects of Scripture, we need to ask if we truly believe it in the first place. It's all very well knowing the stuff or thinking we know the stuff. Is that being born out in fruit, practical, outlived fruit in my life or not? One more, the granddaddy of all these verses, maybe it's already popped in your head, James chapter 1. Let's turn there. James chapter 1 on this subject is the one that always pops up and very rightly so. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 22 it's about hearing the word of God and keeping it. Verse 22 James says but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed there it is in his doing same again be blessed in the doing not blessed in the knowing how many times have we read something in the bible that makes it quite clear where we're a bit wonky And also, it really helpfully makes it quite clear what we need to do about it. And we put it down, we put it down, walk away, and we forget all about it. How many times do we do that? Really? Sometimes ignorantly, sometimes willfully, because we don't want to listen to that. Because we know we've got to do something about it. I mean, sometimes I know when I'm talking to someone... I know they're clearly not listening to me, they're not listening to a word I'm saying, and clearly, I can see the look on their face, their head is full of what they're going to say the moment my mouth stops moving. Yeah? Or, sometimes, someone comes to you for some wisdom, for some advice, and then they go away and do exactly what they were going to do anyway. Yeah? Or, sometimes, I also know, that sometimes I'm that person. Is it pointing the finger? Yeah, I've seen that in other people. I've seen it in me as well. Okay. But imagine how God must feel at times. Like, did you just imagine if like did you not just listen to a word I just said? We can be like that, can't we? But to make it even easier for us, James continues in the very next verses to spell out what this looks like. Living out, doing not just hearing acting out what we're told and what we're supposed to know. He uh, carries on, verse 26, literally, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You want to know what it looks like, living it out? Bridle your tongue. There's one example, I know. Sharp intake of breath, is like, oh dear, it pinches, doesn't it? The lip service is skin deep, isn't it? A true living out of God's word, if that's so, has already hit the heart. And therefore affects how we live it out. Speech. I've got three S's for you. Speech is this first one. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what's going on out with the words coming from your lips reveals what's going on inside your heart, doesn't it? So it's a good test and questions to ask. Do I bridle my tongue? <laughs> bridle as in like a horse's bit. It's about restraint and control. Do I take charge of my tongue or does it run away from me? It could be loaded words, negativity, having a critical spirit. Do you hear yourself out loud sometimes? Like, I'm always focusing on the negative. What's wrong in other people? What's wrong in the situation? What's not right? But how often am I I positive? How often am I seeing the opportunities? How often am I trying to encourage and and to heal? That's loaded words, but it could also be empty words. Sometimes just giving the talk and not living the walk. Giving it all that. Actually, your life doesn't look like that at all. You're just giving it holier than thou with your lips. Empty words as well, just just as important to bridle. Asking yourself, am I actually aware of the power of my words to hurt or to heal? We've all got victims. Somewhere in the past we've said something that's hurt someone, haven't we? We can all do it. Am I truly aware of the power of my tongue to hurt or to heal? One more question. What, what are the things I say about others or to others? What does that actually say about what's inside of me? This isn't a guilt trip. This is just a literally just be honest before God. Seeing where we need his help because we can't fix a cosmic problem. He can. A speech... James goes on for two more, two more examples. Verse 27, the next one is service. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I've got to ask myself, am I ready to be generous? Is that always my poise, to be generous? Or, well, I will if no one else does, I suppose. (laughs) If If they really need help, I'll give it a bit longer. If they really need help, I'll help them out. Are you always eager to be the first one? It's about being the first person to buy the round, isn't it? But being the first person to help someone who's in affliction. I'm always eager to, like, I'd love to help. I'm always eager to help, to truly see and hear people in their trials, to not get comfortable or blind in my privilege, whatever that might be. We can all get privileged in different ways, whether that's the amount of money we have, good health we have, access to opportunities we have that others don't, relationships that others don't have and so on. People can be poor in many different ways. Am I aware sometimes of the privilege I have in these different areas? And therefore I need to ask, am I ignorant of that? Or even am I aware of it, but am I eager to help leverage that to others' advantage and not my own? It's very easy to go, that's terrible what's happening to them over there, but thank God I'm all right. Or maybe here's an opportunity for me to step in and offer some of what I've got. Is is my heart poised that way or is it not? It just helps us see how much we truly believe what God's given us. And the third one, that speech, that service, and the third one is stainlessness. The last part of verse 27, uh, James continues, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice he doesn't say there, and to keep oneself from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world. And Jesus, in John chapter 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says, My disciples, they're not of the world, but I'm sending them into it. It's not about keeping apart from the world. It's about not being stained by it. It's different. In the same way, James here is insisting on an expectation that we keep ourselves unstained from the world, but not disconnected. His heart, and Jesus' heart, is for us to navigate the world in a way that... Uh, means we are not affected by the world, but that the world is affected by us. It's a Big question, isn't it? How do we do that? Holy Spirit's help, first of all. The more you know Holy Spirit, the more you feel those nudges when you're stepping close to having an affection for something that is not healthy and is not good for you. What are you taking in? What are you looking at? doesn't mean we can't mix with certain people or go to certain places. Just be very aware of how it affects you. Are you affecting it more than it's affecting you? good question to ask and the more we listen to Holy Spirit's voice and get used to hearing that it's good for us he's our counsellor another way is doing it together don't just do it on your own doing life out there together connecting with the world and building relationships with people in a way that brings kingdom come and not our hearts affected the wrong way there's an accountability as we do it together isn't there holding fast to the simple values of drinking from the well of scripture How often do you spend time in this? Do you cherish it? Do you look forward to it? If not, ask for for his help. Are you thirsty for this? If not, ask him to make you thirsty. This is is where we're blessed by knowing this and then living it out. If you don't even know it in the first place, how can you live it out? Holding fast to these regular drinking from the well of scripture, also meeting together, eyeballing one another. Don't just rub shoulders together, eyeball one another. How are you doing? Seriously tell me, are you okay? One of my favourite questions is, how can I pray for you? That disarms. You're not, you're not like trying to catch people out and say, oh yeah, you've had a terrible week. Just how can I pray for you? And let's be honest in our answers with one another. And another one, ensuring that we are known out in the world, that ensuring that we are known for our faith in Jesus and our love for humans. Our love for humans is important. Sometimes Christians, we can come across as um, finger-pointed. Oh, God doesn't like that. Well, they don't know Jesus, so they don't know any better. How can they change their ways if they don't know Jesus? Don't wake a finger at them. Live, be known for what you're for not what you're against. But being known for your faith in Jesus, the world helps keep us accountable. Call yourself a Christian. It's a good thing to be known to be a Christian, not just for your witness, but to make sure we're very aware of how much of a witness we are at any given moment. Is there anywhere in your life where you're a stealthy Christian? Be be out and proud. It's good for you. Just do it in a way that doesn't wag fingers at other people, but rather points to Jesus instead. There is a healthy place for not just simply receiving the culture around us without discernment. Don't do that. But nor rejecting it and having nothing to do with it. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. He's sending us into it. But there is a place to redeem it for his glory and make sure we're not affected by it, but it's affected by us. That's what it means to live out his word. I just want to pray for us. But let's just remember that Jesus loves earthly family. Loved his mum to bits even so much while he was on the cross, he looked out for her. That shows you how much he loves earthly family. Let's cherish earthly family. Let's invest in it. But he's even more concerned about growing an eternal family, that we might truly see his rescue and his renewal bring blessing to us and therefore to others in turn. May we be that, people. That's what I want. Don't you want that? Let's be known for that. Let our lives point to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, first and foremost, that we can call you that. It means we're your family. We're your sons and daughters. We thank you that you made that possible through your son. Thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for who we are to you. But Lord, we're still human. We're still easily distracted. We still easily trip. We're still sometimes willful. Will you help us to live out what you've called us into. Will you help us to to spend time in your word and to find the way, this map you've provided, this route to a path of righteousness that glorifies you and helps us grow? Will you help us to do that? Will you help us to live it out? Those difficult things where it clashes with affections in our heart or it clashes with our, our weaknesses. Holy Spirit, will you help us to have the strength to step into what you call us into, knowing you'll catch us. May our lives, not just our lips, glorify you in every which way we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve.